Mindfulness Mode 324. These kids who were going out and stealing cars and doing home invasions on the weekends, through love and sitting quietly, they changed. Welcome, welcome to the Mindfulness Mode podcast with me, your host and Mindfulness Life Coach, Bruce Langford. Great to have you here. And uh, as always, I remind you, please send me an email. Maybe you have some questions, any comment, I'd love to hear from you. Send it to bruce at mindfulnessmode.com. I just received this from Anna. She said, I enjoy listening to your podcast. I spent 11 years studying and practicing consciousness, how to be present in the moment. I think it's really the answer to just about everything. Happiness, peace, fulfillment. So I commend you for picking up the torch to inspire others to explore and practice it. Oh, and I just want to mention, please share, share, share the episode. Share it. Subscribe. That's a big help too. And today... Sometimes we have issues with relationships and we're very fortunate today because we have a relationship expert with us. We have Dr. Roberta Shaler. Dr. Shaler, are you in mindfulness mode today? I certainly hope so, Bruce. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm looking forward to this chat and I want to share a little bit about you, Dr. Shaler, with Mindful Tribe. Dr. Roberta Shaler is the relationship help doctor. She provides urgent and ongoing care for relationships in crises. She particularly helps the partners, the exes, adult children, and co-workers of the crazy-making, relentlessly difficult people that she calls hijackals. (laughs) She helps them save their sanity and stop the crazy-making. Even the United States Marines have called on Dr. Shaler for help. She's a relationship expert and a speaker and author of 16 books. So that's fantastic on its own, 16 books. She consults with clients worldwide through the magic of the internet, and she's host of two podcasts. One of them is called Emotional Savvy, The Relationship Help Show, And the other podcast is called Save Your Sanity, Help for Handling High Jackals. So, Dr. Shaler, I can't wait to talk to you about high jackals. But before we get into high jackals, let's talk about mindfulness. And what does mindfulness mean to you? What's it all about in your world? Well, it's been a long, long, long time it's been part of my world. Because when I was a very small child, I knew that I needed spiritual things in my life. And I went off to a church when I was three all by myself. Mm. So I have always been a seeker. And at 19, I found the uh, Raja path of yoga. So therefore, it was, and that's a long time ago before anybody in North America even thought of the idea, it seems. And uh, then there's the breathing, then there's the meditation, then there's the asana practice, all of that. So it became a really big part of my life and has always remained that way. Wow. Well, how did you come to coin the term hijackals? I want to jump right into that because I find it fascinating. 
Well, my doctorate's in psychology, and I got really tired, Bruce, quite simply, of watching people online go to the Google goddess and say, my partner, my mother, or whatever does this, and the Google goddess, who has no credentials, would spit back words that were clinical diagnoses. That's not a good thing. So I wanted a term that was a non-clinical term that described the traits, the patterns, and the cycles of these toxic people and the way that they manage relationships. And the definition of a hijackal is a person who hijacks the relationship for their own purpose while relentlessly scavenging it for power, status, and control. And this is very common, isn't it? It's getting more common, and that's rather frightening, Bruce. Why do you think it's becoming more common today? Well, I think there's a couple of things that have happened, and there's no definitive answer in the literature. There are many things that happen. But first of all, if you have come from a home where there's hijackal presence, you are going to have a tendency to solve problems in one of two ways. You're either going to solve problems the way the hijackal taught you, or you're going to remove yourself from problems and become a person who avoids that kind of situation. And of course, there's gray areas in the middle. But when we have more and more people who are thinking that they're entitled, and we just raised a whole generation of people with more entitlement than ever before, then if they have a tendency to go in that direction, or they just develop this this ability to see that they want to have power over everybody in their world, then they'll have hijackal tendencies. And there's a difference between self-centeredness and being a hijackal. I mean, a self-centered person can think about themselves all the time, but then if you have a problem, they still have empathy. They are still interested. You know, they may give you two sentences where they take 12, but they will still be interested where a hijacker will have no interest. I see. And so when you start working with people that are in crises, like different relationship problems, what are some of the first things you do? Well, that's a great question because when somebody is in a relationship with perhaps a hijackal, and they want to get help, they have a problem. And the problem is beyond having a hijackle. The problem is finding someone to work with who actually understands what's going on. And I don't mean that the people do not have the, the um, education to understand what's going on. But if you haven't lived this, if you haven't been in the trenches with it and have the education, it's much more difficult to see So when a couple comes to me and there's a suspected hijackal in the mix, um, we work together to develop some rapport and then the traits will emerge. And when the traits emerge, then I will usually say, well, what do you think your part in the problem was? And if the person is a hijackal, they will not take any responsibility for any part of the problem. In fact, they will get angry with me. So it's very important to understand that you need to have someone who understands this issue, has lived it, preferably, and also will not do what the hijackal wants them to do. A hijackal goes to a professional in order to manipulate and seduce and exploit the professional into believing them and joining them in going after their partner. 
And that happens way too often, Bruce. Mm. I've had people who have been to six professionals before they came to me, and every time they were getting the result they didn't want, which is rewounding. So it's very important when we start for me to find out what the dynamic is, as it is with any professional, and then notice, because I have hijackal radar, (laughs) to notice if this is the situation, because we have to take a very different tact if that's the situation. And with your hijackal radar, how does that work in your own personal life when you're dealing with family members or dealing with friends? You're very highly attuned to this. So how does this, how does this play out? Well, the reason that I am so passionate about this, Bruce, is that I was raised in a family where my father was raised in a den of hijackals. So my father was an extreme passive-aggressive man. And my mother had electroshock therapy and came back from the hospital as a full-blown hijackal, which sometimes happens. And so I was an only child getting all of this from two sources. And there I was, this little child going, this is crazy. Mm. These people are crazy. And fortunately, I had that insight, you know, and I was very clear and and strong-willed and I just simply just thought they were nuts and (laughs) that's the technical term right (laughs) Um, but I had to then a long time ago there was no help for that you what happens if you have a hijackal parent Bruce and people need to know this is a hijackal paints the picture of perfection in public but at home they behave horribly So when you go to someone in your community as a child and say, you know, my mom or my dad does this, the person only has that public picture of perfection. So they go, oh, no, your mother would never do that. And there's this child going, but they do. Mm -hmm. So it becomes very, very difficult to, it was very difficult for me to get any help. So as I progressed. It took a long time. You know, if if this is all news to you, I've got people in my Facebook groups, Bruce, who only woke up to all this after 30 years of marriage. You wake up when you you can. Mm -hmm. But it's very important to note that if this is a situation, this is a wake-up call for you. Because it's not about, oh, be compassionate. A hijackal wants to choose someone who's going to jump hoops for them. Or someone who believes that maxim, which I would like to have taken out of public awareness. That whole thing that people say, give until it hurts. Ah, I want rid of that. Mm -hmm. But hijackals will choose someone who really believes that, who will justify their behavior. So we want to be compassionate for them, but learn not to condone or enable their behaviors. Right, right. And can you tell us a story about a client you've worked with and what the transition was like and how their new life looked? Yes, and I can tell you that none of those stories are easy ones and none of them are short. Because if you've been raised to be what I call hijackal bait by coming from a family that had some dysfunction, it takes a long time for you to realize what your part in the action was. And then I always invite people, if there's no sexual or physical abuse, to do their own work first before ever considering leaving the relationship. And the reason for that, Bruce, is I don't want people leaving because they run out 
and they are sitting now in a new place without any empowerment. Empower yourself first. Do your own work. Find out who you are, what it is that uh, caused you to believe that this was okay and that you would accept these behaviors, condone or even enable them, and then get some new strategies and skills to try out. You know, we talk about mindfulness with you and all your good work. Well, learn to sit quietly. You know, my partner and I wrote a book called Soul Solitude, taking time for our souls to catch up. If you are really being damaged in a relationship, you're probably running as fast as you can. So start by taking some time to sit quietly. The world won't stop turning and you will not fall apart if you actually sit in your own company for a short while. Mm -hmm. And do you meditate, Dr. Shaler? Oh, yes. Yes, I do. It's been part of my life for more than 50 years. So, yeah. And what does meditation look like in your life? Well, meditation has transformed many, many ways because when I first learned about meditation, these kinds of things it wasn't meditation it was called prayer you know when i was a little kid and then as i learned uh, yoga and learned about meditation techniques i was very interested but of course i thought it had to go with all the trappings like you know how you sit and how you you look and how you breathe (laughs) and whether you have music or you don't or you have candles or you don't you have a mantra or you don't and all Mm -hmm. that stuff and i traveled around in india and thailand and all learning all this And what we put in our book and what I believe is really helpful to people is there is no drama. There is no technique. What you have to do is sit, fall silent, and listen. Mm -hmm. So you prefer silent meditation then? Well, I think many kinds have many, many uses. But for me, on a daily basis, you know, even if you meditate for 60 seconds and you get in touch with something larger than yourself, that you find that piece, you tap into that piece, and you do it several times a day, you're in great shape. Yeah. And it's not about the length of time that you meditate. It's whether or not you get to the place you need to get to that makes the difference. Mm. Yeah. You know, and I, I have kind of a graphic idea of this. Our world tells us to do this. Go faster, do more. This is our head. This is our feet, right? Right. Go, go, go. Be more, do more, have more, repeat. And we know when we're like this that if we stopped, we're going to fall on our face. Right. But So I invite all my clients to learn to come upright six times a day. They set their their phone alarms, actually. Mm -hmm. Come upright. Do three rounds of four, seven, eight breathing. And they ask themselves, what do I need? What do I think? What do I want? What do I feel right now? And then just get in touch with that. And when they, they practice this, they become more present. And when you're more present, then you can actually say what you'd like to say in the moment. And you can bring your skills. And that's important. And can you share with us exactly what 478 breathing is? Sure. You breathe in very deeply through your nose for a count of four. You hold your breath for a count of seven and breathe out completely through your mouth for a count of eight and do that at least three times. I honestly believe, Bruce, that those kinds of deep breaths are the least expensive, most luxurious vacations we can ever take. 
<laughs> oh, that's a great way to think about it because it's true. You can you feel like you got away from it all just by doing the breathing. That's yes. really fantastic. Now you've written 16 books and I talked to so many people who find it a challenge to write one or two books. Can you share with us the mindfulness that it must have taken for you to get to this point where you've written 16 books? Well, fortunately for me, I write easily. So for those people who don't write easily, you know, don't be cowed by my writing all these books. I mean, I could sit down and write a 750-word article in 40 minutes. Mm. So this just flows for me. It's how I think. It's how I process information. But the big key to writing a book is put your fanny on the fabric. You've got to sit down and do it. <laughs> Put your and, fanny on the fabric. I, I love your terminology for some of these things. Put your fanny on the fabric. I'll remember this. <laughs> yeah, I think it, I think it's important though to also go from the mindfulness. Like sometimes an idea will float out and it it will just hover. You know, in, in many meditations, yeah, that's a good idea. There'll be encouragement. There'll be something else happen, and then. I will just wait until the moment comes that says go. And then I will write a book in three or four weeks. Mm. Sometimes what happens though, which happened recently, there was this huge, powerful push to write this book. And it kept coming and coming. And oh, the timing was perfect. And everything about it was perfect. And all of a sudden in meditation, the entire topic went dead and quiet. Like just crickets, radio silence. All the energy fell away from it. I'm not going to write that book. You know, maybe it will return. Maybe it will be a good idea. But no, you know, it was just like, no, not now. So when you get some attunement with your mindfulness, you will get some information that will let you know when to do things. And when you know that, the how usually just shows up. Right. And as you think back, what books have you written that seem to particularly relate to mindfulness? Well, the very first book that I published, I wrote one before it that I didn't publish, but the first one is called Optimize Your Day and Practical Wisdom for Daily Living. Mm -hmm. And so that was very focused on that because there were, there are, because the, the book is still in print, um, quotes on one side and on the other side a little piece of writing that helps you think about it and then there was some space to write about it because we tend to take in a lot of information but we don't digest as much of it mm -hmm. and I think that this this from the head to the mouth happens a lot like you hear something <laughs> and now you talk about it yeah. but to get from the head to the toes is a whole other matter we have to integrate information so when we hear a quote that really resonates, instead of going, oh, that's great, I think I'll share it on Facebook, <laughs> sit down with it and say, what is it about this that resonates? What, let me open it up and see what wisdom there is for me. What is really happening? And that's such a simple thing to do if we give ourselves the time. Right. Right. I want to ask you a question about bullying. And if you have a story you can share with us where mindfulness would have made a difference. I do. Um, I was in the education world for a long time. I was a teacher and then I became a school administrator. And it was at a time that really stands out for me when 
I had the opportunity. I was given an entire extra classroom to do what I wanted. Mm -hmm. So every morning I would have all the children, including all the special needs children, sit in a big circle and I invited their parents to come and spend that first 20 minutes of the day with us. And why I did that was there was a lot of unrest. There was a lot of children who were difficult and a lot of special needs children. And there were, of course, bullies in the mix. Mm -hmm. And so if we're all participating in something, it became something that everybody then said okay to. There weren't any people who were not doing it. And what we saw during that time where we would just sit quietly, maybe we'd play with energy a little bit, you know, we'd rub our hands together and make energy go around the circle or we'd do a visualization or whatever. Um, we saw a real change. And then I had an opportunity to be the administrator of a school for at-risk teenagers. And of course, there was a lot of this going on, mm -hmm. you know, make them do this and all that yes. when I got there. And I said, no, that's not the way it's going to work. We're going to feed them. And so we made a huge change. These kids who were going out and stealing cars and doing home invasions on the weekends, through love and sitting quietly, they changed. Mm. From the time that I went there to work, Bruce, there were the average length of time a child was staying in the school was three months. By the time I left, five years later, we had not had a vacancy for 18 months. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Mm -hmm. That's incredible. Well, thanks for sharing that. I want to ask you five quick answer questions, Dr. Shaler. The first one is this. Who is one person who has influenced your mindfulness? Joel Goldsmith. Mm. How has mindfulness affected your emotions? Oh, I think mindfulness levels your emotions. It doesn't take out the peaks and valleys, but you understand that you choose the state that you stay in. Tell us how breathing is part of your mindfulness. Now, you've already talked about that. You've already shared with us the 478 exercise, but maybe you can kind of tell us a little bit more. Well... I think it's key to everything. When you stop and you allow yourself to let your shoulders down from your earlobes, mm -hmm. <laughs> you take a deep breath and you open your chest, you open your heart at the same time. And then when you allow yourself to take a deep breath, it takes 20 seconds for the oxygen and a deep breath to go all the way around your blood system. So you refresh yourself completely. So when you are using your breath, you are actually regenerating yourself. And when you do that, it calms you and it helps you think more clearly. Mm, wonderful. If you could recommend a book on mindfulness or related to mindfulness, what would that book be? It would definitely be The Heart of Mysticism by Joel Goldsmith. I read it every morning. And I've been reading it every morning for years. <laughs> um, and I pick it up during the day as well. Um, you know, I have, if you were in my office here, Bruce, you would see I have thousands of books. Most of them have to do with spiritual matters and toxic mm -hmm. people. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but I've read them and I have received great good from all of them. But where I return, and I've read all of Joel Goldsmith's books, but where I return is to that one because it inspires me every day. Well, 
I haven't read that book, and I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about the book, how it's laid out, how it speaks to you. Okay, first of all, it's a small book, maybe five by seven, and it's very thick. And what it is is a compilation of all the classes that he gave and the newsletters that he did. Now, he's written 41 books, and this is just one of them. But when somebody did this compilation, it is sort of the, the most pithy of everything that he did. So it's divided into months over five years. Okay. So there, there's something every month. Uh -huh. So it's a huge amount of great information. And do you read it for five or ten minutes each day, or do you read more mm -hmm. than that? Oh, it depends what I need. You know, sure. if, I, if I find something in the first two minutes, I'll sit with that. If I need to read more, I'll read more. If I want to go back and pick it up in the afternoon, I'll go back and do that. I also have a, a Facebook group called uh, Simply Poor, in which I put some of my favorite readings in there every week so that people can, can become acquainted with this work because not so many people know it. And I've studied with the works of and with many, many people, but this is where I find the greatest spiritual food. Oh, wonderful. Well, I find that many people are helped with mindfulness through apps. Do you use any apps or do you have any you recommend that maybe some of your clients use? No. The only app that I use is the alarms on your cell phone mm -hmm. <laughs> to remind you to do what I was mentioning. Take the three, four, seven, eight breaths. And then just sit and ask yourself, what am I thinking? What am I feeling? What do I need? What do I want? Get in touch with yourself and then see where you go from there. If, it's, if all you do is get those answers, maybe you do that six, seven times a day, you're going to be in much better shape because you're awake and you're with yourself. You're present. Right. I, I'm interested in your Facebook group, Simply, Simply Poor. Can our listeners connect there? Sure, it's simply poor, P-O-U-R, and and it's easy to find. I also have another one that listeners might want to join that has about 6,500 members, and that's my daily spiritual quotes. Don't worry, they don't come daily. <laughs> I thought they would, but they don't. But now I put up quotes and memes there that you can share that allow you to have the thought about just one quote at a time. Well, that's wonderful. Tell us how we can connect with you. My website is for, F-O-R, RelationshipHelpHelp.com. You can connect with me there and see everything. You can see about my podcast. You can read my blog. Or you can go to my YouTube channel, For Relationship Help. And I have a free gift for everybody. Oh, you do? I do. If you think you may have a hijackle in your life and you want to figure it out, Go to hijackles.com, that's hijackals.com, and you can get a copy of my book, um, How to Spot a Hijackle. Wow, thank you very much for that. And I bet we can all spot one somewhere in our lives. Oh, yes. One or two times, Bruce, people have said to me, oh, no, I've never had a person like that. And then as we sit with them for a little minute, they think, oh, yeah, you know, we all know one, and we, we may not have all been negatively affected by one, but we all know one, and we create distance usually if we can 
it's an automatic thing to do unless we are extremely codependent and we don't we we think you know if only i give if only i do more if only i take care of um and and then we beat ourselves up you know if i were more compassionate if i were more helpful if i were less demanding but when you're in the presence of a hijackal it doesn't work that way right they're going to want to take everything so if you find yourself being pressed to the edges and and the hijackal taking up more space and you taking up less come and visit we need to talk well dr shaler thank you so much for the free gift and mindful tribe just a reminder go to four relationship help.com and for that free gift go to hijackals.com and be sure to download the book and and read about what the hijackal looks like in your life so, Dr. Shaler, I really appreciate you being here and sharing your expertise with us. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, Bruce. And thank you for bringing mindfulness to the world. It's so important. You're welcome. Bye now. Bye. Thank you so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com and type the guest name or episode number into the search bar. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by subscribing to Mindfulness Mode wherever you listen. Maybe it's iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever. Hit subscribe and share. Subscribing and sharing helps keep mindfulness mode on the air. Subscribe and share, share, share. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.